Welcome to Walking in Faith, a weekly podcast dedicated to examining the Bible to help lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God expand their faith and understanding by exploring God's Word. Now let's join Pastor Rob Currington as he shares this week's message. Take your Bibles and join us in Luke chapter 13 as we continue on the consequence of a missed opportunity. Have you ever missed an opportunity? Something that came up, maybe it was a job offer, maybe it was a relationship, and you just missed your opportunity and you regretted it. Some time ago, I think last year, my family and I, we went to one of those escape rooms. I don't know if you've any here ever been to an escape room. Oh, how frustrating. And this was actually kind of a simple one, but we're in there and we're going through the motions and we're looking at the clues and we're, and we're what's that? I'm sorry? Oh, there was pieces missing. That's why we didn't get it. That, yeah, that's right. I, I should say. But, you know, we, we were enjoying it, but you had to really, really look. I mean, you had to go at it at earnest. If you're just going in there and just haphazardly looking for things or just turning things over, you, you couldn't do that. You really had to pay attention and you had to really, really look or you weren't going to find the clues. In the end, find your way out of it. And, of course, there was some pieces missing and we weren't able to find our ways. That's my story and I'm sticking to it. Uh, but, you know, you got to look for it. you got you got to earnest it. you got to be devoted to it. you gotta, you got to really go to it. And that's kind of what our theme is this morning. There's missed opportunities because we're not looking for what we should be looking for in the right way. Last week, Luke concluded Jesus' first leg in his journey to Jerusalem, where he has been spending his time teaching and instructing his disciples, as he knows he only has a, a, a last few days or months left on earth. He really wants them to understand what it means to follow him, to be truly a disciple. He teaches them how the kingdom of God starts from small and humble beginnings we saw last week that eventually grow and permeate the world as individuals submit one by one to God's rule through repentance and faith. Today, as we continue, Luke continues his narrative of Jesus' journey to Jerusalem. As now Jesus teaches followers about discipleship or continues to teach about discipleship, but these next several passages, instead of just instructions, they're actually going to be a set of warnings about the kingdom of God, about the importance of the kingdom of God, of not missing the opportunities. Jesus is traveling through various towns and villages along the way, stopping and taking his time to teach and instruct and to preach the good news. With that, we're in Luke chapter 13. Again, I want to encourage you to bring your Bibles. It is here up at the beginning as well. Verse 22. Let's read the first part of those first two verses. Luke writes that Jesus went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? Father, we want to understand that question. That's the question that many of us have. How many will be saved? How, who will find the kingdom of God? Will we, will our, our neighbors, will our family, will our loved ones? Father, I thank you for this passage as it encourages us, but also gives us a warning. And Lord, let us be attuned to that. May your spirit have free reign. Lord, as I preach, as we teach, as we listen, Lord, and, and, and most important that we may respond to the Holy Spirit's work through this passage. In your name we pray, amen. 
Now, I want to make a couple observations. And the first observation is Jesus' determination to go to Jerusalem. And we're going to talk a little bit more about it next week. But in Luke chapter 9, back in verse 51, where we started this, this journey to Jerusalem, Luke wrote that when the days drew near for him to be uh, taken up, speaking of his crucifixion, of his death, Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. And what we're seeing is nothing's going to derail him from this appointment, this divine appointment, despite knowing what awaits him at Jerusalem, the torture, the betrayal, the crucifixion. Jesus is making it a point to stop at all the towns and villages on his way in order to set at liberty those who were oppressed by sickness, diseases, disabilities, and even demons. He was committed to fulfilling his mission to pronounce the arrival of the kingdom of God and to invite all who heard him to come to repent and follow him and join him in the kingdom of God. So the first observation is his determination. He is going to continue. Now he's not stopping at these villages and and towns to to deny or to, to delay his appointment. He knows when that day is, but he's taking the opportunity to preach and to teach and to heal. Now the second observation, as we see there in verse 22, is we're going to see a, a great question. Luke organizes his narrative here by combining Jesus' parable of the kingdom of God with a question that is on the mind of many people. How many people will be saved? We already saw that it was going to be like a large tree that would host many. That it would be like leaven that's put in bread of three measures. It makes enough to feed many people. So the question is, well, how many are those who are going to be saved or will it be saved few? How many people will be saved is to put it another way. How many people will be in the kingdom of God is their question. Now, in this case, the questioner is wondering how many Jews will make it in the kingdom of God. We've got to put our mindset in here that Jesus' ministry at this time is mainly and primarily to Jews, to the Israelites. He's their Messiah and he's coming and he's presenting to them the plan of redemption, the kingdom that they've been looking for, that they've been praying for, for centuries as children of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. They're looking forward to the culmination of that covenant. So for them, they're saying, who is going to be the kingdom? How many Israelites, how many Jews are going to make it into the kingdom of God? John MacArthur points out that the Jewish belief was that all Jews, except for tax collectors and other notorious sinners, would be saved. And all the rest would be lost, would not be able to enter. So they would think of Matthew as we think of the gospel of Matthew. They would say Matthew cannot enter the kingdom because he's a tax collector. Zacchaeus would not be able to enter because he's a tax collector. Many of the people that Jesus has been healing on the Sabbath would not enter because they are diseased or disabled or, or oppressed by demons. However, Jesus seems to exclude many while accepting those that were considered outcasts of society. Instead of answering this person's question, Jesus' answer focuses not on how many will be saved, but on the who and the how they will enter into the kingdom of God. Look with me at Jesus answers this question in verse 24. And Jesus said to him, Strive to enter into the narrow door. Circle that word or underline strive. Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter 
and will not be able. Once again, strive, he says, to enter through the narrow door. He's given us a, a clue there. For many, I tell you again, will seek to enter and will not be able. So Jesus is making three points with his answer. You'll see it here on the screen, I believe. Number one, only those who strive will enter into the kingdom. Only those who strive to enter will enter the kingdom. Number two, the only entrance to the kingdom of God is through a narrow door. And number three, many will seek only to fail in their attempt to enter the kingdom. Many will seek to enter it, but many will fail. Only a few will find the door and will strive to enter. Now, at first reading, Jesus makes two statements in that passage of scripture that are confusing. Could you go back to that, Ben, to that verse there? He says, strive to enter and seek to enter. Now, if you're here with me, you're probably saying, wait a second, that's kind of confusing. That seems contradictory. That seems to say that Jesus is teaching that we need to work our way. It's, it's through our effort that we get into heaven and that we can seek. But that's not what Jesus is teaching here. The Greek word translated strive is where we get our English word agony. It means to fight, to struggle. And it's usually used in scripture and in other Greek literature to describe athletic or military endeavors. So what he's saying here is that with agony, we are to look for that door, that, inter- that, that narrow door. Jesus is not advocating that we are to work for our, our salvation. In Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, we learn that by grace we have been saved through faith. And it's not our own doing. It is a gift of God as a result, not a result of works, so that we may not be able to boast. And so we recognize that God is, Jesus is not saying him work to enter it, but with agony. We are to strive for it. What Jesus is emphasizing here, and you may want to take this as a note, maybe even put it in your Bible next to strive on the side of your Bible, is what Jesus is emphasizing here is not working, but earnestness. Earnestness in seeking the kingdom of God. Earnestness consists of a devotion, an enthusiasm, a fervor, an intensity, a sincerity, a tenacity, and an urgency in our actions. So what he's saying here is that we need to be earnestly looking for that narrow door, trying to enter that narrow door, to find that narrow door. We are to do it with all of our devotion, with enthusiasm, with the tenacity of not giving up, with a sincerity of heart and mind, knowing that the time is limited here on earth. You and I are called to earnestness in the following examples of scriptures, just so you can see how else that word is used in scripture. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, it says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete, that's the word strive there. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but an imperishable. And I want to just say a moment, let me take a moment and just give you an editorial. 
Self-control, that's one of the gifts or one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. And many times we get self, self-control and self-discipline kind of mixed up. And they're not the same thing. Self-control is the fruit of the Spirit in which the, it gives us the ability to say no. Self-control is the ability to say no. I need to say no to these things. It, it, it will hurt me if I do these things. An athlete knows that he doesn't have the extra piece of, of brownie with walnuts. He may not even have one, the poor fool, but he's not going to overdo it. You know, he knows that he has to say self-control. Self-discipline, though, is saying yes to something. It's saying, no, I'm, going to, I'm not going to do it, but I'm going to do extra crunches or I'm going to uh, take an extra walk or a run or something of that nature. To kind of put in your mind when you're thinking of scripture and you're thinking of yourself that, hey, I need to have self-control of my flesh, but I need to have self-discipline in my life and doing what Christ told me. Think of it this way. Self-control is the brake of a car. Stop. Self-discipline is the gas. Go. So in here, we need, as an athlete, we need to be urgent. We need to devote it to say no to things. But then he goes on in 1 Timothy 6, 12. And when you see it in bold, that's the Greek word agony or strive. It says, fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession. See, we need to agonize our way. We need to work out our salvation with trembling, with fear and trembling. In 2 Timothy 4, 7, I don't believe that's on there, but he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. There was a tenacity. There was a commitment to work and self-control and self-discipline so that he may enter in the narrow door. Another example in striving or earnestness is that in praying. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 12, and again, I want to encourage uh, the men and those who may be joining us is that we're reading Colossians 4 through 12 through the month of April. Here the Apostle Paul writes of Epaphras, who was one of you who was a Colossian. And he says he was a servant of Christ Jesus, and he greets you. He was there serving with Paul in prison. He says, I'm greeting you. He says, he's always struggling. That's that word striving. It's that word agonizing on your behalf in his prayers. That's praying without ceasing. That's that's praying with an earnestness, a, a devotion, again, an urgency. Those words that we've used before. So that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. So scripture is, again, calling us to have the devotion, the enthusiasm, the fever, the fervor, the intensity of looking for that door. To seek means to look for, to seek out, to try to obtain. A desire to possess, to strive for. So there are going to be many who are going to desire the kingdom of God, but yet he's saying here, they will not find it. They will be left out. Scripture informs us that there is none righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. See, now Jesus is not contradicting that truth when he gives them this answer, but he's remarking that at the day of judgment, many will find themselves left outside the gates of the kingdom rather than lovingly received inside. And the reason for being left outside is that they tried to enter the kingdom through other means than the narrow door. The narrow door points to the exclusivity of the way of salvation. You may want to write that down. When he sees the narrow door, door, it's an exclusivity. 
of the way of salvation. It's not through a wide door. It's not through the red door, the green door. It's through the narrow door. This is the only way that you can enter in to the kingdom of God. And so we might ask then, so we are to agonize, we are to strive, we are to, with intensity, enter in through the narrow door. What is that narrow door? The better question is, the door is not a what, but is a who. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus pronounced here on the monitor, that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And that is something that Israelites, the Jews, are missing at this point in Jesus' ministry. After almost three years of ministering among them, they still do not accept this fact. In Acts chapter 4, verse 11, verses uh, 12, Peter declared to the religious leaders that it put him in prison. They demanded that he, that he give account of what, by what power or by what name do you preach and teach and heal? All Paul or Peter could say is that this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has come the cornerstone, and there you see it on the monitor, that there is salvation in no one else, Acts 4.12, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be Saved. Jesus has been telling him, I'm the door. You must strive to enter through me. Peter was declaring that because salvation is only through the work of Jesus, that everyone must repent and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. That's the gospel message. Of course, the religious leaders, they were not amused or accepting of that message. They rejected the apostles' teaching and ministry just as they had did with Jesus uh, before. Even today, people reject the inclusivity of Jesus, that there's only salvation in Christ. In the gospel, according to Oprah, there are many paths which you may call God or which you may call God or which you may find God. However, they are sadly and tragically wrong. There is no other name. There is no other door that you can enter into the eternity. The religious leaders, political leaders, the cultural leaders, and even the common people of Israel rejected Jesus as their Messiah. And that decision would lead to their own rejection. It would lead them to miss the narrow door and to find themselves rejected at the gates of the kingdom of God. To hammer down his point, Jesus points him to a parable in Luke chapter 13. Look at verse 25. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, he's risen and he's shutting the door. And you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us. Then he will answer you. I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and we drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. Look at verse 27, but he will say to you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, you workers of evil. This is a simple story about those who are desiring to enter into the master's house after the doors have been closed. 
Those left outside, banging on the door, pleading to be let in, declaring that they have a personal relationship with the master. We ate with you. We talked with you. We followed you. We listened to you. Only to be told that they are mistaken. He does not know them. And to leave him alone. Then to add insult to injury, he labels them as wicked. This parable would have been shocking to Jesus' original audience as they recognize that he is referring to their status as Jews, children of Abraham, Yahweh's chosen people, the Israel of God. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 32, if you would. Fifth book of the Old Testament. I want to share with you real quickly why this would have been shocking to the Jews of that day. In this passage, Moses composed a song that details Yahweh's relationship with Israel. This is near the end when they're getting ready to enter into the promised land. But as you recall, not everyone was able to enter. There was a whole generation that lost, that missed their opportunity. Moses himself would miss the opportunity to walk into the promised land and to enjoy its fruit. Look with me at Deuteronomy chapter 32 and read silent with me at verse 8. Moses sings, when the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance. So we have to understand that, that God is the power of all things, and he has given power and authority to all nations, whether we're thinking of Egypt or Babylon or, or Samaria or uh, um, uh, Ethiopia, any nation or country. He says, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the people according to the number of the sons of God. But the Lord, look here in verse 9, but the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob, his allotted heritage, he found him in a desert land and in the howling waste of the wilderness, he encircled him, he cared for him, he kept him as the apple of his eye. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flatters over or flutters, excuse me, over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them, burying them on its pinions. The Lord alone glided Israel, the Jews, the children of Abraham. No foreign God was with him. Now you have to remember the Jews that Jesus is speaking here had spent generations learning this song. This is one of the songs they most likely would sing on a yearly basis, maybe more than once. From a little child, they would learn this song and sing it with their parents and with others. It reminded them of God's covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. They were promised to be, they were promised a, a new prophet who would come and share with them the word of God. They were promised a new priest who would come like Aaron and be able to mediate between them and God. And they were uh, promised a new king who will rule in righteousness and justice, who would restore them back to greatness. This is their hope. This was their expectation. This was the anticipation that they had. You hear Jesus informing that many of them would be left out of the kingdom, just as the generation before was not able to enter into the promised land. 
Thomas Schreiner notes that they are not allowed into the kingdom of God because evil dominates their lives and because they have given themselves over to their own selfish will instead of agonizing and striving to find themselves through the narrow door of desiring to seek the kingdom of God, not on God's terms, but on their own. He says, you are selfish. You are children of rebellion. Earlier, Jesus had declared in John chapter 8, you'll see it here on the monitor. Jesus says, why do you you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and a father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. You will not enter in the kingdom of God. As he said in Matthew, another point, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Take your Bible and turn to the gospel of John. I want to take a moment and look at several times when Jesus has already warned Israel to accept him as the Messiah. Starting with John chapter 3. Look at me at verse 14. Jesus had said, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Whoever believes in Christ... The narrow door will find entrance in the kingdom of God. Now take your Bibles and turn a few more chapters over to chapter 6. In John chapter 6, verse 35. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Thank you. That's where you and I want to be. Verse 37, or verse 38. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. You see, when the master rises to shut the door of the kingdom, you and I will be safely put in and accepted. Verse 40, for this is the will of my father, that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Just as I told you the story of the bronze serpent that Jesus says, lifting up, you might remember that was a curse. In their mumblings and complaining, God had sent snakes among Israelites. And the snakes were biting them and caused them great burning and eventually death. And they pleaded with mercy and repentance. Moses goes before God and says, please give us a mercy. God says, take this snake, wrap it around a pole, make it a brass snake, make it out of brass. Put it on on that, that pole and lift it up. And anyone who looks at that will be saved, will be healed. And you can imagine there were many with agony were looking at that snake, gazing at that snake, 
not taking their eyes off, probably with urgency, desiring to look and be healed. Jesus is saying the same thing. Strive to look at me and be healed with the same intensity that you desire physical healing. Desire the spiritual healing. Turn now to John chapter 10, if you would. As Jesus continues, we're going to be in John just for a little bit longer. John chapter 10, we've been looking at this passage in our adult core class. But in John chapter 10, look at verses 1 through 2. Truly, truly, Jesus says, He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. And to him the gatekeeper opens. And so as we're seeing here, Jesus is continually saying that you must enter in through the narrow door, the door that actually opens up into the kingdom. Look at verse 7. So Jesus again said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen. I am the door. If anyone enters me by me, he will be saved and will go out in and out and find pasture. What is that saying? He who enters through my door, through me, will inherit the kingdom of God. Amen? We need to strive to enter only through Christ. Steve Lawson said earlier today is, is, is the Pope is not the voice, is not the shepherd. They will not hear. Nor through Muhammad or Brigham Young or through, uh, who's the one before him? I, uh, Joseph Smith. Or any other false teachers and false prophets that are out there. Only through Christ is the door. You and I need to recognize that Christ is good as the door. Now turn to John chapter 12. In this passage, Jesus is speaking to the religious leaders shortly after raising Lazarus from the dead. And right after entering Jerusalem, as the people are singing his praises, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In John chapter 12, look at verse 31. Jesus is speaking to the religious leaders. He says, now is the judgment of this world, nor will the ruler of this world be cast out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, speaking of his crucifixion, and will draw all people to myself, he said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd in verse 34 answered him, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. So how can you say that the son of man must be lifted up? Who is this son of man? Jesus said, and the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtakes you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. He will not find the narrow door. Then verse 16. While you have the light, believe in the light. And who's the light? It's Christ that you may become sons of the light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and he hid himself from them. Though he had done many signs before them, listen to what it says, they still did not believe him. And here we come to the crust of what Jesus is saying when he says, strive to enter in through the narrow door. For many will seek 
but will not, but only a few will find. Theologian Walter Leefield writes that Jesus is answering this inquiring mind who's asking how many. Jesus is saying who and how. He says those that are saved are those who have seized their opportunity now. Unfortunately, Israel, the Jews, missed the opportunity to enter in through the narrow door. They're trying to enter in through a different door, through the law of Moses or through the rituals and traditions of the Pharisees, through the teachings and the rulers of the Sadducees, through the power and the political uh, culture of the zealots. And they missed their opportunity. In the beginning of his ministry, Jesus had proclaimed that he had come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The kingdom of God was inaugurated with the ministry of Jesus. However, those that had witnessed his miracles, those that had heard his preaching and walked along the road with him and even ate bread with him, missed their opportunity to enter the kingdom due to the rejection of of, of his message. So yes, they may say, but wait, Jesus, we ate with you. We walked alongside of you. I might have even donated to you. Jesus says, the light's gone. The door has shut. You have missed your opportunity. You have rejected my claim as your Messiah. They believed that as sons and daughters of Abraham, that they were entitled to enter into the kingdom. However, Jesus denounces that assumption and pronounces that lineage and heritage does not secure entrance into the kingdom of God. Due to his foolishness, or I'm going to continue on. I'm going to continue here, Ben, a little bit. I'm going to jump a little bit as we come because I want to make sure that we understand it. Is that there is a time to accept Christ. And if you and I miss that opportunity, we are not guaranteed a second chance. Again, God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. But what we see is that there are many who do not desire God. They desire God's blessings. They desire the benefits of God, but yet they truly don't want the message, the ministry, or the man of Jesus Christ. They demand to to live their life anyway instead of striving and looking for the narrow door. They want to live their lives with itchy ears. They want to indulge the flesh, finding different ways, claiming to the promises of false teachers and prophets hoping that they will be able to enter in at the last days. However, they will find that themselves are left out. This is where you and I find ourselves back in Luke chapter 13. Let's look at verse 28. For those that have rejected Christ, for those that have missed their opportunity... Jesus continues to answer their question by declaring of those that have refused or those that have refused entrance. He says that in that place, you workers of iniquity, you workers of evil, he says you will go instead of the kingdom, you will go to a place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets of the kingdom of God, but you yourself cast out. 
And people will come from the east and the west and from the north and the south, and they will recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. When he uses those terms, weeping and gnashing, they refer to the grief of those who are lost and the fury in their hearts that they are not admitted They've missed their opportunity to accept Jesus. Instead of entering the kingdom, they are cast into hell, a place of real, eternal, and conscious punishment. Jesus then shocks them by declaring that the kingdom of God will include not only the Jews, but also the Gentiles as people from every tribe, nation, and people group will gain entrance. They will see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob inside, and they will demand to be let in. But God says, I do not know you. Depart. There's a special place that's reserved for you, you workers of evil. To summarize last week's passage and this week's, we learn that though the kingdom of God will grow large enough to shelter a large host of birds and feed a large number of people, only few will actually find their way into the kingdom as they strive to enter in through the narrow door. Through Christ's name. Jesus himself warned the people that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. They don't know what it means to strive to enter in. Matthew 22, for many are called, but few are chosen. Jesus here is teaching that anyone desirous of entering the kingdom must seek it earnestly, not out of personal gain, Not flippantly, not haphazardly, but passionately and purposely. The kingdom of God is here and will one day be an earthly reality. You and I must understand that. There is a day when it will be here and judgment will follow. The door will close and all those outside will be judged. That time, Jesus has said in this journey, is that the time is short. You do not know when it will come. So make a decision today. Do not delay. Strive to enter in through the door. In 2 Corinthians 6, 2, the Apostle Paul pleads with his readers with the words of the Old Testament. In a favorable time, I listened to you, and in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Let me share with you, the door to the kingdom is still open. That narrow door can be found. That narrow door is Jesus Christ, his work accepted by Christ. I pray today that you would strive to enter through that door, that you would compel your friends and your family. Now is the day of salvation. Do not miss your opportunity. There is no second or third chances. There is no lottery when that door closes. It is final. So my plea for you is please, If you're here this morning and you do not know if you are saved, then come today. Today is a day of salvation. Do not wait. Do not delay. You do not have tomorrow promised to you. You do not have the next few minutes promised to you. Do not postpone. Do not procrastinate. And do not be passive in securing your place in eternity. 
The writer of Hebrews pleads with us today, just as the prophet pleaded with the people of Israel. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of, day of testing in the wilderness. And I would just add to that, do not reject the Messiah as those who witnessed, I witnessed his miracles, his hearing, or hearing his messages, his teaching. Let me ask today's question in a different way. Just bear with me a moment. You can go ahead and close your Bibles. If you guys can just put your attention here. Let me ask the question in a different way. If you were to stand before Christ today, that door is shut because of either death or the rapture or Christ has come. And Jesus were to look at you as you come to that door. Why would you, when he say, why should I let you into my heaven? Why should I let you into the kingdom of God? What would you say? Would you say, well, I was a member at Orangeville Bible Church. I, I gave to Orange Bible Church. I, I helped in the ministries of Orangeville Village Bible Church. Or my mom and dad was saved and my dad was a pastor or, or my dad was a deacon. and My mom was a Sunday school teacher. You might say, but my grandma was a beautiful, wonderful woman. You should let me in because of her. Let me show you, that door will be closed to you. Doesn't matter what you've done. But I gave to the church, but I gave to the homeless, but I did the, all these things that scripture tells me to do. But the very one. Your striving was for you. Your agenda, your kingdom, your retirement, your investment, your family, your tenacity, your urgency is on building yourself up, not looking for the narrow door. The only way through that door, narrow door is through the gospel. And I want to share with you, I know you know this, but we need to be reminded of the gospel every day. I give, that's why I've given all of you a gospel primer. If you need one, let me know. Read it at least once a week to remind yourself of what God has done. Knowing that God has created all that we see. He's the creator of all things, visible and invisible. In all heavens or under the earth or in the earth. And he created all things that we may look upon him as the object of our admiration and that we would bow down and worship and glorify him. But you know that the problem is that we refuse to do so. Our first parents rejected and rebelled against him. And because of that, you and I are now born with inherited guilt. And all that we do is sinful and that sin has put a barrier between us as we say that there's, God can have no fellowship with darkness. Because of that, all have fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous. It doesn't matter who you've been born to. It doesn't matter what you do. It says that the wages of our sin is death. And so you and I are deserving of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Be a God and his mercy and his love made a plan of redemption where before eternity passed, before the foundation of the world, he in his love and his mercy said, I will bring some in and I will share with them the narrow door. That narrow door is Christ. He said, I will solve a problem that they cannot solve. God requires perfection. We could not do it. So God sent his son, Jesus, to provide what God required. 
perfection. So Jesus came. He lived in this earth 33 years. Through his act of obedience, of obeying the law perfectly, fulfilling it for all purposes, he earned God's acceptance and he earned our acceptance. In the same way, in his passive obedience, by giving himself to the cross, it says that our sins were paid for. We're going to remember that as we come to communion. And in it, by Christ's uh, work on the cross, God has accepted that. The penalty of our sin has been paid for. God's favor is now on those who strive to enter through Christ as the only way into the kingdom of God. But the last thing, the missed opportunity that I want to make sure that you do not negate or not, that you do not fall for is your response. And that's where you and I repent of our sin and turn towards Christ. Do not miss that opportunity. That opportunity is today. Do not wait another day. Do not wait until you got it all together. Do not wait until you think you have enough things to do and now you can now uh, seek the kingdom of God. No, he says seek the kingdom of God today with all that you have. And that's what all you should be seeking because if you do that, then God will add all that you need. He will supply. So that's my call for you today. Repentance is faith is the only way that you will find that door that will turn that knob that will open and allow you to enter into the kingdom of God. Would you do so today? Would you share the good news with others that there is a door and this is the only way through? Not through rituals, not through traditions, not through lineage, not through heritage. Then he calls us that you and I must bear fruits to demonstrate our repentance. That's kind of like our key that, hey, we get in. Wouldn't it be nice if we got saved when we repented and we turned to Christ that we'd actually got a certificate? Maybe a passport, maybe even on our phone. I don't know, maybe something, I don't know. Something that would confirm that. That would be nice. But the only way that we know the confirmation is by bearing fruit, bearing fruit with repentance. How does how did John the Baptist say that? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. I call you to a life of repentance. Love your wives. Submit to your husbands. Live lives that are pleasing to God. Join with me in just reading Colossians chapter 3 today. The put-offs, the put-offs, the put-ons. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek it, for these are the things of God. I pray that each and every one of you will not miss your opportunity to enter into the door of Christ. Join us in the kingdom of God. Let's share that news. Begin praying and planning how you can share it with your friends and your loved ones. With every bow bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to ask Randy to come on up for our pastor's prayer. I just want you to pause for a moment. When that day, when the door closes, will you be in the kingdom of God? Are you a citizen of the kingdom of God today? The Bible tests this test and examine yourself of whether or not you're in the faith. Is your life a life of repentance and faith? If not, would you turn to him today? It's not too late. Don't delay. Don't procrastinate. 
Don't put it away. Don't be passive. Strive. Agonize until you know that you're in the, until you're in the house of God. Agonize until your wife, until your children are gained entrance. Consider what God has called you to do. And pray and ask the Holy Spirit to help you to respond to whatever God's call may be. That he may be glorified. Randy, would you come? Close us in prayer. We hope you have enjoyed this week's message. We encourage you to share it with others. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at info at orangevilla.org. Be sure and join us for next week's message by subscribing to this podcast. To learn more about our ministry, submit prayer requests, or to find ways you can help share the gospel, visit us online at orangevilla.org. Till next time, we hope the grace and peace of God's love be ever present in your life.